Well, good morning. I um, want to give a shout out to our friends in Gallup and those that are worshiping online as well today. His name is Jesus. Uh, the Bible tells us uh, in the book of Acts that there is but one name under heaven by which we can be saved, and that name is Jesus. And there's so much dilemma when it comes to the person of Jesus, whether we're talking about a baby in a manger or a king on the cross or a savior who is now in heaven seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And really what it comes down to is there's always a question. In fact, this question came 33 years after Jesus was born, not on the day of birth, but on the day of death. There was a man by the name of Pilate. And Pilate, as he was deciding Jesus' fate, asked a question. The question, what shall I do with Jesus? And I think that's always the question. Whether we're at home, whether we're at work, whether we're in traffic, whether we're just trying to have some downtime, whether we're in a conversation and it, it kind of turns toward gossip, whether we're on our phones or computers, regardless of what it is that we are doing, that's always the question. What shall I do with Jesus? You see, Jesus is ever before us. As followers of Jesus, that needs to be on our mind. And the reality is this, there's never a neutral when it comes to Jesus. There's never, you remember the old song, Jesus is all right with me? There, there's never a, a neutral there. There's never a, a place where it's just kind of we're riding the fence or we're, we're, we're saying, I just don't know where I am. There's either a yes or a no when it comes to Jesus. You see, in the book of Matthew, which is where we're going to be here today, Matthew begins the story of Jesus with the family tree. And one of the reasons why he did this is to prove that Jesus was in the right lineage to, to be the Messiah. But then he goes on and he begins to tell the Christmas story. But the Christmas story seems to have some key players, not the players that we find in the book of Luke, but for Matthew, there's a group of people. And, 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 and I think one of the things that we find here is we see people deciding where they stand with Jesus. And the matter of speaking, they're at a, at a spot where it's kind of like, what shall I do with Jesus? And since we're in this series, called Christmas Isn't Canceled, we, we can maybe address it like this. We can either embrace Jesus or we can cancel him. We can worship him or we cancel him. We can welcome him or we cancel him. We can seek him, we can investigate, we can lean into him or we cancel him. You see, there's a couple of key players we're going to talk about here today from the book of Matthew. The first one is kind of a silent character. We really don't have any words in the Bible about him. 
or actually we have words about him, we don't have words from him. Never talks, never says uh, anything in in this way, other than just maybe a a brief mention. But here we find in in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph. And in verse 18, this, this is what it says. It says, uh, now, now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before the, they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, now we read this as normal. We have 2,000 years of church history. But let's just put it this way. Of the billions upon billions of births that have ever happened in the history of history, there is only one that has happened in this way. So if, if Joseph is having a little bit of, of a difficulty of wrapping his mind around this, I think we can give him a little bit of a pass right now because, gentlemen... Let's just understand that if any of us were in Joseph's place, we would have a little bit of of a hard time wrapping our minds around this. And, And so it says here, And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But then it goes on to say this, but as he considered these things. Now, I think that's important. As he considered these things, he was still kind of letting this swirl around in his mind a little bit. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. So we kind of find that Joseph wakes up, and, and again, that Matthew fills in a little bit of why this is so important. He connects it to the Old Testament. He connects it to prophecy. But then we get to verse 24, and it says, When Joseph woke up from his sleep, He said, uh, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife. And we now know that uh, there is the the continuation of the story. Now, when I get to heaven, uh, Joseph is one of those people that I really want to talk to. Joseph is one of those guys, uh, it's like, why didn't you say anything? There's there's not any words from you in the Bible and and, and so on. But uh, I want to give him a fist bump. I want to give him a fist bump and say, you're the man. And one of the reasons why I want to be able to do this is that Joseph, in so many ways, chose Jesus. And by choosing Jesus, he chose embarrassment. But by choosing Jesus, he chose humility. By by choosing Jesus, he, he chose sacrifice. And he chose obedience. Because here's the reality. If, G- if Joseph had decided to cancel Jesus, everyone would have understood. In fact, his friend group would have been supporters of like saying, Joseph, you're making the right decision, man. 
And the religious community would have considered him to be righteous. Everybody would have understood. Arius said this is all right. But instead, he chose Jesus. He chose obedience. And he chose to embrace this, this miraculous thing that was happening when no one no one really probably understood other than Joseph and Mary what was going on. The next players in the story are intriguing to me. Uh, one of the reasons why the, these group of people, and I, I don't know who they were, I don't know how many they were, are intriguing to me is because there's so much mystery surrounding them. You see, in chapter 2, it says this in verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the, uh, from the east. Uh, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, that statement, they have come to worship him, that's going to be big here in a second. If, if you want to underline that in your Bible, that, that might be okay. But in verse 3, it also says this. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And we're going to come back to this uh, as we kind of progress in, in looking at the key players here today. But one of the things that we understand is these men came. We, we don't know who they are. We just know that they are wise men. Your Bible might say uh, magi. Uh, if, if you're from Great Britain, you would say um, magi. Uh, but uh, however you, you want to say this, these men were probably astrologers, probably from the east. They were stargazers. They were not followers of God, and, and somehow they had probably received uh, an old copy of the Torah that was left uh, with all the dispersion of God's people, and they were learned men, and they decided to study, and they found out that the, the birth of Jesus would coincide with a star. And, and so they, there was this investigation, and Herod brings in Religious scholars and religious scholars do a little bit of answering of Bible trivia, and they find out that it's Bethlehem and, and different things like that. But then we get to verse 11. And actually, I'm going to read verse 10, even though it's not going to be up here on the screen here today. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's important. But now verse 11, and going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, there's so much mystery that surrounds these people. I mean, there's so many questions that are fun to ask, but really impossible to answer. For example, who were these guys? They're nameless. We don't know their names. If we knew their names, we might have an indication of where they were from, but we don't know where they were from. 
We don't know how many there were. We don't know how much gold and frankincense and myrrh they actually were. There's just some vagueness here. But I tell you that there is one thing that is very clear. They could have stayed where they were. They could have seen the star and had a roundtable discussion with the committee of Magi and been in wonder of what had happened. They could have kind of done this whole thing from a distance and intellectually been involved, but not completely intellectually involved. They involved every part of who they were to truly investigate out who Jesus was. Also, one thing is very clear. They did not come just to see what had happened. They had come to worship. Two times it says worship in this passage. Then in, in, in verse 10, it, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There was excitement about this. They worshiped. They fell down. They rejoiced exceedingly. And so this begins to tell me, because they came to worship, what worship should look like. And the Magi's worship involved their time, their financial resources, and their intellect. So that gives me a little bit of an indicator of what my worship should look like. It should involve my time. It should involve my finance, uh, financial resources. It should involve my intellect. And, and that's such a beautiful picture here today. But what we have done in America, what we have done in America is we have said three songs, a message, communion, and maybe a little offering, and that is worship. But what we find with the Magi is their worship I mean, I don't know how long it took them. Uh, I don't know what it, what it meant for them to, to make this trip, but it involved so much of who they were in order to worship Jesus, and the same ought to be for you and I here today. Worship would, should require something more of us than one hour a week. Also, now, if you're keeping score right here, you would think that everybody who had to ask, what shall I do with Jesus, said yes to Jesus and didn't cancel him. But that's not necessarily the case. You see, one of the other key players that we find here is a man by the name of Herod. And, and Herod, well, let's just say his motives were a little bit more sinister than, than worship. Notice again verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. He was troubled, and all Jerusalem was, was troubled with him. Now it says that he, he brought in religious scholars, and he asked them the question, the same question that had been asked by uh, the Magi. I don't know if the Magi were there, but when they found out it was Bethlehem, the Magi went to Bethlehem, and, and Herod, oh, he's such a wonderful individual, is he not? Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship. And we know that the wise men, they went and worshiped, but in a dream, they were warned that, again, Herod is, is up to no good. They decided to go home, but they decided to go home from an alternate route. And this is what we find in verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Now, I don't know that what we should expect differently of Herod. Now, part of the problem is you put the name king in front of someone, uh, immediately you kind of lean toward tyrant. Now, he wasn't king over everything. He was actually an employee of the Roman government. And let's just say people don't get to these high positions in the government level in the first century without, well, being a scoundrel. He got where he was because he was dishonest and he was ruthless. He even had some of his own family members executed. And as a, an employee of, of, of the emperor that was taken into Judea to be the king over this, I mean, here's really the rule. The rule is keep law and order. There wasn't a lot of rules or laws in the law book other than just keep everything in order. Let people worship, let people have their customs, let people have a little bit of freedom, but whatever you do, don't let any uprising happen. And so, if something comes in and, or someone comes in and says, where is the one who is to be born king of the Jews? And your king, self-preservation is going to kick in. Not only self-preservation of, I want to keep my job, but I don't want to anger the emperor. And so you're going to do whatever you can, whatever means possible, ethical or not, moral or not, to be able to keep law and order. And the best way for him to do that was, well, if there is been born somebody who is king of the Jews or will be king of the Jews, the best thing for me to do is do everything that I can and I'm not going to leave any room for error. I'm just going to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in Judea under the age of two. So I go ahead and snuff it out. Does it make you sick? You think about that right there. And so here's the reality. Herod didn't want to just cancel Christmas. He wanted to kill it. Now, I'm going to venture to say that as, as you're kind of going through this here today and, and, and thinking, so I don't think there's anybody on, in, in the room here today, no one watching online, who wants to kill Jesus. Right? However, whether we know it or not, we can cancel him time 
and time again. Let me just ask this. How many times in your life have you tried to silence the voice of Jesus in your head because it was just too uncomfortable? How many times have you chosen the comforts of life over Jesus and his path for you? How many times have you chosen your own path? Say, I want to create my own destiny. I want to determine the direction of my life rather than taking the direction uh, of Jesus. How many times throughout the day do you choose yourself and and whatever self includes over Jesus? So if you've answered yes to any of those questions here today, rest assured you haven't tried to kill Jesus. However, you've taken a very active part in canceling him. In fact, that's where it gets a little uncomfortable for me. You see, I can look at this story, and I I can look at the story, and I can begin to say, I hope I would have been Joseph. I, I can look at this story, and I can say, I really really hope that I would have been the wise man. I, I want to be one who investigates and searches and seeks and digs and leans in when it comes to Jesus. I can look at Herod and go, I'm not that guy. But there's some other key players here that, that really kind of serve, well, really we don't talk about them much. Really, we, we, we don't talk about them much at all. In fact, they barely get a mention. They, they barely get a mention in the story. And if they do, we don't really ever talk about how they contributed to this. So I want to go back to verse 3. Uh, and in verse 3, again, it says this, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. The very next thing that it says is that he assembled religious scholars. He assembled the the pastors and the associate pastors and the church leaders of the day with a question, what does your Bible tell me about where Jesus was to be born? And so all these guys are able to put their heads together and come up with, this is where it says that Jesus is to be born. And so it's Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is seven to ten miles away from Jerusalem. And so all these religious scholars are around. So let's just kind of look at this. We don't talk about them much. But let me just kind of go with the flow of the story. Wise men come and question Herod. That's kind of scene one. And they come in and they ask the question. Now, I'm gonna, I have a picture in my mind that there was more than three of them. I have a picture in my mind that there is this caravan of, of camels going into Jerusalem. Everyone knows that these guys are here. And then in verse three, it says that Herod was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. In other words, it was the talk of the town. It was the COVID pandemic of their day that everyone was talking about. Can we just say that? And so the religious leaders come in, and 
they're part of all, I assume. The religious leaders come in. They answer Bible trivia. But let me tell you what we do not read. And so since it's not there, I'm going to assume that it didn't happen. I don't read that these men who have heard the silence of God for 400 years, who have really spent all of their time for the last 400 years as religious scholars talking about, planning for, reading about, discussing, dialoguing, searching out Scripture to find out when in the world is the Messiah coming. I mean, this was, this was the thing that they hinged all their hopes on. And after all this time, and the question of, of these men saying, we've seen the star. There's no evidence that these guys took the 7 to 10 mile trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to knock on doors to see if they could find their greatest hope. They did nothing. There's no indication that they did anything. And you know, maybe that's the most common path that we take in canceling Jesus. Maybe there's no hostility. There's no sinister plan to just squash Jesus and push him out of our lives. There's really just nothing. Nothing. No investigating. No seeking. No leaning in. Just going about our daily lives a lot of times as if Jesus doesn't exist. Oh, sure, we'll go to church a little bit. We'll read the Bible a little bit. We'll do a little bit along the way. But what we really do is we cancel him. And so perhaps the most common way that we cancel Jesus in the church is not hostility but ambivalence. Jesus is there, but he's there with all all the other stuff in our life, and there's nothing that distinguishes him as more important than anything else. And so when I read the story and I look in the mirror, the group that I see most in my life, it's the preacher who could answer, answer a lot of Bible trivia, but sometimes... Jesus is just there. Again, it's like that song, Jesus is just all right with me. And so it's time for us to look at the mirror. It's time for us to examine ourselves. And I think for most of us in this room, we've probably already answered what shall I do with Jesus once in our life. Maybe somebody needs to answer that question for the very first time and say, I, I want to choose Jesus.
But here's the reality. You, and I say you, and I ought to just say we, we must always answer. What shall I do with Jesus? Shall I embrace Him or cancel Him? Shall, shall I worship Him or cancel Him? Shall I welcome Him into my life or cancel Him? Shall I seek Him, investigate Him, lean into Him, learn from Him, or shall I cancel Him? You see, I think life is full of moments. Most of us have probably had a moment in our life where we emphatically said, today is the day that I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to say yes to Jesus. But since then, life is full of multiple moments where the same thing needs to be asked, what shall I do with Jesus? In fact, I, I read something that, that just kind of blew my mind. Uh, and In fact, I actually heard this. On, I was reading or listening to a book on tape. And so if you want to think about change, as I was talking about culture change, you don't change culture. Culture is changed through cumulative actions. And so I have to look at the moments of my life, not just a single moment. I have to look at the moments of my life and ask the question, do, do the moments of my life, cumulative together, really give me an idea that I have said yes to Jesus and I continually say yes, or do the cumulative moments of my life really point to say, yeah, Schaefer, back on December 26, 1982, you said yes. But there's been a whole lot of cancel since then. So a couple of, couple of items. Christmas isn't canceled. But if we're not careful, we will cancel Christ. Christmas isn't canceled, but bit by bit and little by little, we can cancel Jesus in our lives. So this week, I want to give you a, a couple of tools that will help say yes to Jesus. Uh, one uh, I would love for you to do is take some time this week, read four chapters of the Bible. Read Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. Those are the stories of, of Christmas and the birth of Jesus. So take some opportunity to, to dig in, read those chapters, maybe read those chapters more than once. But I also want you to do this, and, and I actually did this this week, and it wasn't a good thing. Let's just put it this way. Set a reminder on your phone with this question. How have I canceled Jesus today? And so I actually, knowing that I was going to preach this and put this in here, I put reminders on my phone. I actually put two reminders on my phone. At 5 a.m. every morning, I have a reminder on my phone. I'm usually up and around by then, but this gets me kind of the very first part of the day. The reminder says this, don't start your day by canceling Jesus. And so that right off the bat just kind of puts Jesus on my mind. At 9 p.m., 
I have another reminder that comes up with the question, how have you canceled Jesus today? And I'll tell you a couple times, I'll tell you, Thursday, I didn't want to answer that question. Uh, just in my mind, I, I could just see that my mind was not on Jesus most of the day. I didn't want to answer that. But it was a great tool for me to be able to say, all right, Schaefer, today is done. Tomorrow, his mercies are new. And finally this. If you've not had a moment where you have said yes to Jesus, we want to change the rest of the moments of your life. And we don't change it by anything that we do. It's Jesus who has done that. But we would love to be able to dialogue with you and discuss with you what that looks like to say yes to Jesus for the very first time. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for, thank you for life. You are the giver and taker of life. And Lord, I thank you for giving life through your Son. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.